0: Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com podcast. All right, let's get started. Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Orla Shanahy, of Voxgig, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organising, exhibiting and attending. In each episode, I sit down for a relaxed fireside chat with people in the public speaking community. My aim is to learn how they've mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And just before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to our sponsor, simplecast.com, the first and last word in podcasts. Today, I'm speaking with Matthew Ravel, who's an expert in developer relations, and he's the organizer of the DevRelCon series of conferences. He's an experienced speaker at events of all sizes, from small tech meetups to conferences with attendee numbers in the thousands. Matthew has made his career out of developer relations, facilitating communications and mutual understanding between developers and the people who want to work with them. Matthew, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Hey, no worries. Thank you for having me.
0: So many public speakers say that they fell into public speaking as a major part of their careers. Was that the case for you?
1: I suppose so. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself much of a public speaker. It's something that I do uh, from time to time. But for me, it's always been a a means to an end. So I'm not someone who's gone out and, you know, joined things like Toastmasters and and that kind of thing. Um, It's always been for me just the, my job required it and so yeah i did fall into it i guess
0: okay so can you tell us what was your first ever public speaking experience and i mean first like even if it was something in childhood or whatever how did it all um, get started for you
1: i remember doing an impression of prince charles in a school talent competition when i was about seven
0: yeah i guess it does i didn't win uh... (laughs) okay and um did that give you uh the bug for being on stage for speaking in front of an audience
1: No, I don't know. I mean, I was always more interested in radio, if anything. And so for me, I I really liked the intimacy of feeling you had like a one-on-one conversation going on with the person who was listening. So that was always my passion in terms of communication type things. Mm -hmm. But I suppose that I became used to speaking on stage just because it kind of cropped up quite a lot in my life. And when I was a, a teenager, for some reason, I decided to run a poetry festival. And so that Involved a lot of, you know, being on stage, emceeing and so on. Uh-huh. Yeah, it always has kind of cropped up. And then when I moved into tech, I think I did my first tech conference talk in, well, again, then some friends and I ran a, a tech conference, a Linux conference between 2004 and 2006, seven, I think it was, you know, it's a lot of emceeing there and kind of just being on stage. And we were running a podcast at the time as well, which um, got a little bit of popularity and, um, but then I guess the first talk that I did being paid to speak at a tech conference was in Limerick in 2007 at the university. The Computer Society there ran an open source technology conference. And I was there talking about a product that I was working on at the time, which was kind of a forerunner to GitHub called Launchpad. And I was terrible, <laughs> absolutely terrible. Um, I was very nervous. I felt like I didn't know my material. I got conference kind of anxiety beforehand, and then during... The talk, I lost my train of thought, and then during the questions, I couldn't answer the questions, so it wasn't great.
0: Oh dear. <laughs> well, thanks for your honesty. You know, it's really, it's always interesting. There's always a little bit of Schadenfreude when we hear other people, <laughs> you know, making a mess of things on stage. Although I'm sure, do you find that even if things do go slightly wrong, that in many cases the audience doesn't notice or it doesn't bother them half as much as you think?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I found that at least the events I'm involved in, the audience is on your side. And nobody goes well. I say, at least in the tech world that I'm most familiar with, nobody goes into the audience wishing that the speaker is going to mess up in some way. So I feel like it's normally a supportive environment. This is my experience as as me, and I'm I'm not saying that everyone has the same experience as me. So you know, I understand that this is just one person's view, but I found that people tend to be quite supportive. And if you do mess up, yeah, most people don't notice. And even if they do notice, you know, I think people tend to go into a talk wanting to get something out of it. So they're wishing well for you.
0: Yeah. And that, that is a nice thing when you feel that support coming from the audience. So from what you're saying, you, let's say, fell into speaking for want of a better word. And it kept coming up. As you say, you kept getting asked or just finding yourself in situations where you were on stage. Did you ever get any training? How do you maintain your speaking skills?
1: I did a broadcasting studies degree at university, which meant that I got some BBC training, but not so much in, in public speaking. I think, it, you know, I did hospital radio as a, as a kid, and then I did some bits and pieces for local BBC radio. I was one of those kids who always had a tape recorder and a microphone. Um, so <laughs> okay. I got used to the idea of speaking for other people who don't necessarily, you know, in a, in a context where it's not a conversation. Yes, And one of the things I think I've done is I've listened over, I've watched the videos of me talking and certainly when I was doing radio and things like that, I'd listen back and I, I became very aware of certain ticks and problems with, with the way that I was delivering talks such as saying and look and that kind of thing too often. But also that I was quite rambly sometimes and would elide words together so that you wouldn't really understand what I was saying. So I've had to slow down. I've had to focus on pronunciation, but that's not so much a case of training. It's just I've gone back and been embarrassed by myself and <laughs> then tried to make sure that I'm not embarrassing next time.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you're largely self-taught, really. And as you say, you've gone back over recordings and tried to learn from previous experience. That's really great. You speak mainly to tech audiences, developer audiences. Is that right?
1: Yes, I'd say so. Most of the people who attend the types of event that I speak at are from a developer background or certainly involved in the tech industry. I would say that these days, I'm not speaking so much at developer conferences, but more at developer relations, API conferences, that sort of thing, because my specialism now is in helping companies to build developer audiences and and developer communities. And so I tend to focus on that, which means that the people I speak to are actually a little more varied now. Um, so there's marketing people, there's product people, sales people get involved, and in, you know it's becoming quite a hot topic in the tech industry. How do you sell to developers? How do you market to developers? How do you build an audience with them? So yeah, I'd say that the people I, I end up speaking to has changed from purely developers to a more heterogeneous group.
0: Mm. And so I'm imagining that you maybe have to vary how you speak a little if you're speaking to more mixed audiences. I imagine there's quite a variety then in those kind of audiences, as you say. So do you alter what you're saying or modify it in some way when you're speaking to an audience that's not all
1: technical people? I think the content itself leads that. What I would say that is in my experience of speaking to tech industry audiences, regardless of whether the developers are not, is they're very focused on getting to practical takeaways that they can then adopt in their own work. I would say that One of the things of speaking to developer audiences is is that, you know, you need to show code, graphs, metrics, that kind of thing. You need to be able to say, I did this and it resulted in these things here. And it's how you can use it in your work life. Whereas with the broader audience, I think there's still that need to be very practical to have the takeaways and so on. But, you know, you're not necessarily showing code and so on. But it's still very much about presenting a framework here are some repeatable things that we can extrapolate from experiences that I've had or people that I know I've had and that you can then put into your, your work life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've come across this, but I found that sometimes at, at conferences, you find that people will effectively tell a war story. You know, say, mm-hmm. here's what happened to us. And that can be interesting, but it's less useful if they don't then at least end that by, trying to make what they experience into something repeatable that other people can use. And so I'd say the difference between the developer and the slightly more varied audience is really just that you're not speaking up about necessarily a particular technology, you're not backing up with code and so on. But instead, well, I'd say still you're looking to give them the same kind of takeaways that they can then put into their own work.
0: Your approach is very... Outcome focused that people walk away with something they can use, something practical they can use in their work.
1: Well, I hope so. Yeah. At least that's how I see my job when I'm giving a talk is that I'm doing the work to help those people make sense of what I think is useful to them.
0: Yeah. And I think that's probably very good advice for anyone who's starting out or relatively at the start of their speaking career is to focus on the takeaways, you know, and to let that guide the talk. Let's talk a little bit because MoxGig is a very much events focused company. Mm-hmm. How did you first get the idea to start up an event? Uh, what was the motivation?
1: Well, I used to work for a, a startup that's no longer with us. And a colleague and I were looking to create the European edition of their developer event, which we'd done a lot of legwork. We found the venue, You know, we had lots of ideas about what it should be like. And then the company didn't get the funding it needed. and. The budget for that event was cut. So a year or two later, we decided to do it anyway, but ourselves. And so we did this distributed systems conference as a one-off. That was okay. It was a lot of work. Learned a lot. Decided not to do it again because really my passion wasn't there. What I realized was my passion was about developer relations. And I felt there wasn't, at the time, much being written or said about developer relations. there was really something that I could learn from as a practitioner. So I thought, well, I'll bring the experts to me and uh, hopefully get some other people to come along as well. And yeah. it was in a co-working space above a supermarket in Shoreditch. So it was fairly low key, uh, full budget for the, I say hour. I mean, it was me. I had a couple of friends helping out, but you know, the budget was no more than 10,000 pounds for the day, but we had people come from America, from Japan, right across Europe. And there's only hundred of service there, but. It was the start of something. And it, it, you know, it seemed very clear that we were, as a community, we needed something to come together, DevRel practitioners. And uh, then someone in San Francisco got in touch, who's now a friend, Tama Onakara, and said, hey, I saw this thing you did. Do you want to do it in San Francisco? So we collaborated on that. And then the guy who came from Japan went to that one as well. and And then we had a conversation. I was like, hey, we should do it in Tokyo as well. He said, yeah, let's do that. So that happened. And then, so from China in touch. she said, hey, we'd like to run this in China. So I was like, yeah, okay, let's do that. And it's been fairly, you know, I haven't gone out and sought to, to create a series of events, but it's grown organically.
0: Yes. One of the things I love talking to people who run events about is this entrepreneurial spirit that comes across like, you know, in so many cases, it's there was a need here. We wanted this. So we just did it ourselves. It's fantastic. It dovetails so nicely with the whole tech startup world. So you're running four events this year, is that right? In widely distributed locations. I just wanted to ask you about the organizational side. How do you keep all that together? How do you organize that? Do you have much of a team or is it still mostly you?
1: I made a decision very early on that DevRelCon should be a community event. Cause as someone working in a role that led to me sponsoring lots of events, I kind of, I could recognize the events that people really cared about and that gave us a return on our sponsorship versus those that were run purely for the money. And, you know, some events were nicer still with than others. So I tried to keep sponsorships low and ticket prices very low to the point where I ended up making a loss on the events. Someone then said to me, this is silly. You need to actually put enough margin into this to turn it into something self-sustaining. I was like, yeah, okay, I think I've earned that now. So last year, for the first time in, in London, we had an events manager. And now there's enough budget in it that there's actually a team of us now who are running the events. The money from the events, you know, any profit we make still goes straight back into it. In fact, we made probably a £20,000 loss on London last year, which was painful. But this year, I think we're going to make a little bit of margin, which means that we can put it back into making the event better and and employing a team. So yeah, this year, there's a team of probably, there's one person working on it full-time. There's myself probably about a quarter of my time to half of my time goes on it. And then we have freelancers and so on who help us with design and so on. So there is certainly a team, but we try and keep things as, I don't want to say bare bones, but we want to reinvest as much as possible back into the experience of the event, mm-hmm. while also being financially prudent enough to have a bit of margin left over that means that we get to do it again next year.
0: Yeah, it must be such a great feeling to be self-sustaining like that. That's fantastic. And in terms of tools then software... How does the organizational side run from that respect?
1: Uh, That's been quite a journey, really. Um, We use Taito on ticketing. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to say it. That's been pretty good. I'm quite happy with that. And that continues to improve, so that's good. We use a lot of Asana and Google Docs on the project management and other side of things. Mm -hmm. We've got a couple of really big spreadsheets that do budgeting and things like that. Managing paper submissions is, is always painful. I've never found a good tool for that, I'll be honest. Uh So I think we're going to either build something around Airtable um, spreadsheet system ourselves. I mean, we're using Typeform at the moment, which is great. And I'm big fans of Typeform as a company and the product, but it's not yet specifically for CFP. So things like it doesn't send an email out to people to confirm that they've submitted their talk, that sort of thing. Okay. Well, I believe that they're building a dedicated CFP talk soon. I've heard that anyway. So hopefully... Mm-hmm. That'll be fixed for the next time around. But really, that tool is fairly simple.
0: Matthew, you've come to the end of our time. Thank you so much for joining me. Best of luck with the next conference. Yeah, thank you. And talk to you soon. Yeah,
1: well, thank you very much for having me and I really enjoyed the talk. You can find the transcript
0: of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgigcom slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgig.com slash
2: newsletter or follow our Twitter at VoxGig. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.